from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boyer from SQL CFO. Joined with me is Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring. This episode brought to you by the great team at BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. Paul Meisner, welcome back to another great show. Thank you very much, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. Uh, another, another few breaks for us, David. Uh, this time of the year, uh, difficult with religious holidays and getting busy and, and lots going on. But we are back. We have so much content, David. We are we're ready. We're ready to drop lots of uh, episodes and in-depth topics. Uh, so let's get into it, David. What is your best on ground? From the trenches. Best. So big things happened. Um, a couple of years ago, a company from South Africa made their way here called Greatsoft, and it was touted as a solution for bigger firms who have more complicated reporting to be able to use the cloud and be able to use zero tax. They came out, oh, I can't remember, I literally think it was about 18 months ago. I've met the, the team a few times, really nice people. They've just landed their first whale pool, and I think it's significant. Greatsoft, which is practice management, so it replaces XPM, uses zero tax and RSM Bird Cameron has just signed on with them as their, I don't know what you call it, what do you call it when you win your first big massive client, Paul, an anchor client? I don't know, but certainly this is big uh, as much uh, as much as uh, they're winning it, obviously. So ZeroCon, Greatsoft announced that, or Zero announced that they were doing a uh, partnership because Greatsoft gave the, as you said, the practice management arm for Zero to, to supply the tax software for me, David. This is as much as big as Four uh, Zero winning such a substantial and, and great soft. Clearly, it's it's a, a great thing for them. This is uh, industry insiders, David, are telling me this was Myob's largest um, per, largest number of seats uh, client for its accountants enterprise system or for its accountants. Oh, there's no. Yep. It's one of those things where if somebody wins, then somebody else has lost. And if if what we've heard is true, I've heard that I've also heard that RSM was MYB's biggest client. I've also heard that the number—it's about a million bucks a year—they were paying across to Myob. So Myob's new shareholders, Paul. I, I think this may not be happy chapters. Yeah, there's certainly a dent for me. If if your biggest client leaves, it often rolls downhill quicker. Um, you, you know, yeah. you, can, you can sort of take out some of the smaller clients and the bigger clients think, oh, well, yeah, but that the smaller clients don't, um, you know, aren't the same as us. Geez, if 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 the biggest one can move off it and onto zero and great soft, geez, anyone else below them should be thinking that that is that is big news, David. I think that that we've seen a tipping point in uh, in that market for sure. Um, I tell you what, my question is to make it relevant to us. When are we going to see some new innovations and changes in XPM? It's still clunky. To be honest, I don't think we are, David. I think they're going to leave it to Greatsoft. I don't see a future in it um, in, in change. Then, so, the, so then, so you, so you reckon Greatsoft will flow down and, and become or come up with a price point or a suite of features that are relevant for smaller I, firms? I, I feel like what, and I don't know, David, I, we speak to a lot of the zero people, but this, I am well outside uh, the box on this one. But I actually feel like uh, the Zero HQ is trying to be 
sort of a workflow hub um, and GreatSoft is going to pick up the bigger areas. I, I, I would be surprised if Workflow Max ever got touched again. Um, I think it'll, it will need to see it in Zero HQ, um, which is Zero's new thing. That's just my, that's just my pick, David. Interesting, Paul. Interesting. But well done to the team and the sales team who worked on this. It's a huge win for Zero. It's a bigger win for Greatsoft and it's a big red X for the M. Yeah, that's, that's, it's really, it's really got to hurt company. them. I hope the migration goes well. My best on ground, David. From the trenches. I love, we love robots. We do love robots on this show. I personally love robots. I love talking about robots. Um, for me, this is a little bit of um, a, a cautionary tale on releasing software, releasing something that is flashy, promises a lot. Perhaps you release it a bit prematurely and ultimately uh, some key features aren't yet connected. Now, David, I reckon we could talk about half the add-ons in the marketplace, I reckon. Uh, certainly Startup Alley at ZeroCon had a few in my book. But coming out of, and I'm trying to work out where this is, uh, got to be somewhere in the US, Salt Lake City, uh, Salt Lake Park, Los Angeles. There was a police robot that is designed to uh, stroll the streets. It's in full police uh, livery. Is that what you call it? With uh, stickers and stuff. Um, it looks like R2D2 to it me. It does mate. look like it. Literally looks like Anyway, R2. so a, a concerned citizen saw a, a, a fight break out. She ran up to the robot and pressed its button, uh, offering further assistance. Instead, apparently, the, the extra assistance to call backup function is not turned on yet. Um, and then I'm quoting, add, to add insult to injury, the high-tech device then rolled away while humming an intergalactic tune, pausing periodically to say, please keep the park clean. How hilarious. <laughs> not only not <laughs> only was the key functionality it was employed to do, which was citizens to report crime, not connected, it it. It, they 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 built the feature that could hum a tune, but didn't haven't released the feature that actually is going to help people. <laughs> if that if that just doesn't take me back to it's the development if roadmap, that, if that isn't around. just a, a look into the history of the development roadmap for a lot, uh, I will go heave. Anyway, uh, very right. funny for me, David. What have you got? From the trenches. Well, for me, mate, and I'll tell you what, I found a really cool feature. Now, I know that you're not a massive fan of, well, you think that not a lot of new technology and not a new in, a lot of new innovations out there. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, that, that would be correct. <laughs> well, I found a feature that I reckon is really, really cool. Now, I went on the BGL National Roadshow. And in and we probably there would I think there was 1,300, 1,400 accountants attended in all the capital cities except Darwin and Hobart. And Ron Leash gets up there and he asks a question, and he says, "How many of you send an email to your customers asking them for your NPS score? NPS is Net Promoter yep. Score. Basically means it's a really good indicator. Is the client likely to refer you or not? And it's just this really easy thing." I swear, mate, not one person put their hand up other than myself and Andrew Vanderbeek, and we were both speaking. No one does it. And I, I've always been into I've always seen their thought to think why. And I honestly reckon the answer why, why do accounts not want to know what their customers think about them? A little bit scared of the answer. I, I reckon that's a big part of it. But I have found a super cool feature. I've started using FYI docs as a doc management system at I got sick of SharePoint. I got frustrated with a whole lot of different workflow tools that I was using. And I've moved across to FYI Docs. The team at Clarity Street have implemented it for me. 
They have a feature because it brings in all your emails where it uses machine learning to scan the sentiment in your client's emails and tell you which clients are happy and unhappy with your service. So you don't even have to send that MPS email out to find out where your client's mindset is in response to your service. Bloody cool. That is awesome. Well done to Rob and the team at FYI Docs. Yeah, that's pretty, that is pretty good. I, I like that use of, of technology. Um, th- there are other things where I think there's a system that can read your own emails and sort of tell you whether or not you're – it's like I think Grammarly were trying to do it um, as well. Uh, I think on the Net Promoter Score, um, David, for me in terms of Net Promoter Score and accountants, I feel like – you have such a strong relationship with your clients. Like, do you ask your friends for a net promoter score? Like, I kind of see it closer to that. It's not a bank. You don't uh, have that. My, 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 my relationship with my friends entirely exists on ripping shreds off each other in the pursuit of good humour. I think it's pretty clear. We know where we sit. But I don't think that's a fair comparison at all because when you sit down and ask someone, they're much more likely to tell you what you want to hear rather than a more passive response. Anyway, good, uh, good, uh, good, good debate there, and good use of uh, the technology. Especially, I like things that can happen without having to set it up or, or, yeah. or um, it's not an it's not an extra app. It's built into something I'm already using. You, you know, and and also not having to ask the client. You know, not having to disrupt that mm. relationship or or put yourself out there. Accountants aren't always great at putting yourself out there either. Yeah, I might I might actually go in there. To, I think it's a coming soon feature. I think it's like advertised in the app, but it's not working yet because I know what your listeners, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Dave, what do your clients think about you? I don't have the answer because I think the feature's coming. <laughs> Fair enough. And would I tell you either way? That's interesting. Mm, not sure we're that close, dear listeners. Not sure. Fair enough. All right. Uh, next for me is um, Beyond the Hype. This is an article out of accounting today, Beyond, beyond the Hype, uh, how AI is being used by accountants today. Um won't go into the detail, but look, this is just, um, it, it is good to see articles written without the um, hype, without that sort of uh, fear-mongering. In fact, this article did call out a little bit of the fear-mongering just to see a little bit of balance and say, look, I feel, David, we speak often about what might happen, what will happen in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Some futurists are out, especially in the accounting industry, are out talking. Um, I just like, you know, what's happening now and what impacts it having. Um, I think articles like that serve uh, a far bigger purpose than people who have never done the job talking about 15 years in advance. But, you know, that's just me, David. So you like this because I'm reading the article now. It says everything that we read in every hyped-up article, it just uses less sensationalist adjectives, and that's why you like this. No, look, I, I just like the um, – it talks a little bit about some of the practical applications of AI. I do also like that it calls out the fear mongers because, you know, that's just my – that's my thing. It's good to see other mm. people doing it. Anyway, um, David – What else you got? You mate, got more. one last. This, this struck me as – um, really interesting. So the fastest world record marathon, I won't have a go uh, pronouncing his name apart from to say Eluid Kipoch- Kipochka, probably murdered that. Anyway, 
I don't know whether you saw it, David, in the in the news in the last couple of weeks. Fastest I ever did. marathon, right? That's all we heard. Fastest ever. Under two hours. He broke he two broke hours. He broke two hours for the first time ever. There was a really interesting article in The Atlantic called The Greatest Fakest World Record. Now, I, I just wanted to get to, to – only because it was interesting to me. When you look behind this, yes, there was a world record. You know, it's actually – Interestingly, and uh, it's not an official world record because it wasn't done under marathon conditions, um, and uh, you know. But but I guess in a marketing sense, not that that has has largely mattered. Um, that was one of the interesting things for me that it's actually not a record because it, it was it was a little bit um, manufactured, should just, we say? I just want to give listeners an idea of how fast he actually went. If you go to gym and put the treadmill on 21, he did that for two hours. He's a freak. Like, I'm not – I'm in no way – I'm in no way saying this effort wasn't. But it's it's technically not the fastest ever marathon because it's not – it wasn't an official marathon. It was the fastest across 42 minutes. Mm. That, wasn't, that wasn't the um, – uh, that was one of the points for me. The other point was this article outlines some of the stuff that they went through. It took 42 pace-setting runners. He had 42 other runners Mm. pacing him. They had a car with a laser beam out the back um, pointing a laser onto the ground to keep keep the right pace. They hand-selected a... Uh, an area, and I think it was in Berlin, I can't remember, um, against a river. They they hand-selected, scoured the world for the flattest 42 uh, or 26.2-mile course. Um, but the sheer fact there was 42 other runners, they waited, they waited um, I think that this, this attempt could have been on any of six days. They picked the absolute... Uh, best weather, best it conditions. Was, it, was a, it was just so, an amazingly well organized uh, thing, but but also I, that it wasn't actually a record. So, and that's what's fascinating about it because it's it's a question of media for me. They this was done. They tried to test how fast a human could run to break deliberately try to break two hours, but it wasn't. So he ran the marathon distance, but it wasn't in a marathon. It wasn't in competition and, settings. And people you know, I argue, know when I swim. David, people argue that's, uh, that's semantics, but I think it, it, it is interesting. I, I don't think it is semantic. I reckon it's really – I think it's different because competition does things to you. Well, I even know if I go for a swim at, at Glenara Sports and Aquatic Centre at 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, if I'm swimming by myself, I swim differently than if there's somebody in the lane next to me going at a similar pace to me. Yeah, that, but these – um. These pace setters, it was like Yes, a- yes, I just compared my athletic capabilities to a bloke who just ran marathon distance in under two normally hours. A, I, anyway, I won't, I won't say what I was, I won't say what I was going to say. <laughs> Leave it, Paul. Um, but it, his, his pace setters also uh, ran in front of him as a reverse flying V, as an aerodynamics. Anyway, it's a truly, uh, truly an absolute feat. I wonder if they, I wonder if they quacked like the mighty- the Mighty Ducks did. I'm not ball. sure. There was a reference to the Mighty Ducks, which I found quite funny. Uh, David, give us your worst on ground. Dun, da, da, dun. From the Let's spend a bit of time on this. Um, Latitude Financial was supposed to be this year's biggest IPO and it failed. It got pulled just moments before it was due to list on the ASX. There's heaps of press about it, but I just want to give some context. 
Latitude is the old GE money, uh, and you probably recognize the name because they spent an obscene amount of money getting Alec Baldwin to come out and use his star power to relaunch the Latitude brand. Interestingly, one of Latitude's current owners is also an owner of MYOB, Paul. Oh, there you so go. Didn't know probably that. Two, bit, two bits of bad news for them in one show. It, it is, and you know it, it's GE money, it's Latitude finance, unsecured loans, it's credit cards, it's car finance, it's the expensive debt, and they're doing really, really well because the banks aren't necessarily lending and they're in that space. But this is the, you know, it, we've also had the WeWork IPO that, that didn't work, but that was because of fake accounting. This company makes almost $300 million in profit a year. Yeah, this is, this is and it's GE. It's a globally trusted financial institution, but the IPO didn't work. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, this just doesn't make sense. Like, why? So I read a lot of the press for a lot of the reasons. And one of the main ones is when you when you go to do an IPO, you've got you want to raise X amount of dollars and you want quality investors and you want lots of them. And you almost want it to be oversubscribed so that when you do list, there's enough people interested in your stock that they trade on the market afterwards. The deal team were concerned that there wasn't enough interest in pre-IPO and that some of the big investors would have just sold the stock as soon as it listed, driving down the price and causing everybody to lose. One of the biggest reasons it's given, though, is they failed to attract overseas investment. And there's a lot of the Aussie media goes on to talk about all the problems that we know about, uncertain regulatory environment, post-Royal Commission, and, you know, now another one potentially coming. Um, uh, un- unfavorable lending conditions, uncertain international public policy with Brexit, Trump, trade wars, Australia's reliance on China. Every macro excuse under the sun has been blamed on why this didn't work. And Paul, it didn't make sense to me. And here's why. Now, listeners will know we- we- we've had a good relationship with Judo Bank. And I remember when we were talking, I was having a chat to Joseph Healy before I interviewed him on the show. And he was talking about the way they went about their capital raise because, Paul, they raised $400 million this year, which is the biggest cap raise in Australian history. So how IPOs and just cap a couple raises of months, are different, though. They're a different beast. Uh, they are. They are. But they're both for financial institutions. So the trading conditions should be comparable. They should. They just should be. They're lending into the same market. Yeah, I, th- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes the quality of the lenders or the, the, um, the makeup of the lenders are slightly different. But anyway, whatever. Well, I, I, the point is, Judo did really well getting overseas money. There's a $90 billion funding gap in, in here. There's competition. There's a massive need for business owners who need this sort of money. And there's just something about this latitude failed IPO that doesn't make sense to me, Paul. I just don't understand how one bank can raise a lot of money from quality overseas investors and another one doesn't. And the excuse the media give us is macroeconomic conditions. Well, I don't think it's the excuse the media give it. I think it's the excuse Latitude give it. And, and uh... Well, I only know what I read in the press. I don't know anyone at Latitude who could tell me otherwise. I, I just, I mean, I guess. But I'd, but I'd love to have a sit down with Alec Baldwin to find out more. <laughs> I tell you, the other thing interesting, I mean, Ahmed Fahua, who obviously did an amazing job turning around uh, Australia Post, uh, is the CEO here. Um I don't know whether some of these big uh, these big IPOs. Maybe we are seeing a point whereby we're not uh, where investors are getting a bit more savvy with their money. I know certain uh, small cap startups that hope that the purse strings never get tightened because they would uh, they would be running out of money pretty quick. 
Anyway, interesting. Indeed. It'll be interesting. To That's see. my worst on ground, mate. I just it seems odd to me that that didn't work because yeah, absolutely. We get, I've we got get two good. quick ones. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what other IPOs don't work as well. Um, I got very two quick ones. Mm. One. <laughs> This is just fun. This is, <laughs> Isn't this that is just funny. Not the ones that do work and make people lots of money, the ones that didn't work. Uh, true, true. From the trenches. Um, uh, this one's interesting. Uh, uh, this is a bizarre story about a Skype job interview where, and there's a video released uh, to YouTube of um, this a guy trying to interview for an IT job and clearly is not the one talking on the video. Um, they are uh, he someone off camera is talking. It is just it is just hilarious that um, despite being caught not being trying to trying to scam or have someone else turn up for a job interview, uh, this person just sits there straight faced and goes, "No, no, this is me talking." While you can actually see that their lips are moving differently to the video. Hilarious uh, and very brazen, although uh, you just, but also quite objectively funny. Right. Uh, my other one, last one, and just only because for people who are on uh, on LinkedIn, um, there is all sorts of job titles out there, and those what people call themselves. You know, I think there's, you know, assisting small business, or you know, champion, or futurist, or whatever. I have seen possibly the most interesting. I won't be any more negative than that. I'll just simply call it interesting in inverted commas. Somebody who I recently saw had their job title as them being. At the inflection point of change. Why wouldn't you name his name? Because I'm I'm not like that, David. I'm I'm reformed. So I, his his actual it might not right, be his him. actual job title. It, if you scroll down his profile, his actual title is executive manager of global and domestic partnerships. But his byline is at the inflection. I point don't of don't want to go into any more detail. I just like I, the byline. Sorry, the byline. What what he wants to be known. What they want to be known for. Yeah is at the inflection point of change. I just think we've gone into the next. That's like calling uh, my old uh, firm, the receptionist, called herself the director of first impressions. Um, anyway, I just found it interesting. Uh, Alan Fitzgerald's still got the best byline. A minute of my time will save you nine. I love yeah. that. See, that's at least true. don't know about being at the inflection mm. point of change. It's a little bit about knowing your why. That's right up there with knowing your why. That's what you probably Sounds think. like he's like on the tectonic plates. Well, it's not nearly as bad as TEDx speaker. <laughs> I don't have TEDx. Sp- oh, yeah, I do. Uh, anyway. Yeah. All good. All right. Is, is that it? Are we? Thanks for saying that I'm a TEDx speaker. I know. I was, someone had to get it in. I didn't want you to forget. Anyway, what a, uh, what a week. Uh, listeners, reach out if you have any content. Uh, otherwise, have an awesome week. See ya. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.